Hi. I'm Rin. Thank you, Deb. Um, Deb has like been in my life since I was 17 years old, um, and I'm not 17 anymore. And it's I don't know. It it's really nice to be loved by someone who's so smart and so kind. Thanks, Deb. Um, So I'm going to read this new thing. It's a brand new thing. Um, It's from this book that I'm writing called Poor Little Rich Boy about my life. And uh, yeah, here are some projections that I've prepared for you. Fannie Mae, Fire, Muriel. At three or four, Fannie Mae burnt down the family home. She went to the bathroom, and having seen that when you go to the bathroom, you must light a match or a rag to clear your scent, she tried to clear her scent. But being so small and fire being so hot, she dropped the fire, and it spread faster than she could have imagined. The bathroom was also small, just a wooden attachment to the wooden house. The attachment was big enough to hold a toilet and rags and a person or a few small people, and soon Fanny was surrounded by smoke, and she froze for a minute, admiring the way that a room can be lit in one moment and dark in another. Then she silently ran outside. Fanny's oldest sister, Muriel, said the whole house awoke at once to smoke and ash billowing through the small rooms. There was a scramble to find the smallest children. Muriel said she stayed in the house till it was very hot looking for Fanny. In her last moment of desperation, looking for Fanny under a bed, she remembers looking out the window in the yard. There was Fanny. Muriel says she thinks Fanny's dress was white or blue, whatever color. Fanny's head was bowed down in shame. On their lawn, next to a large tree and the new dirt road, Fanny's family watched the house burn down to its frame. They were able to save important things like everyone and photographs. Fanny scattered her siblings to the homes of relatives and church friends. The whole family never lived under the same roof again. Every time my great-aunt Muriel, who is now 97, tells this story, she adds a new and different non-sequitorial phrase at the end. Some examples include, systems can collapse very quickly. Life can only be understood in reverse. After the fire, they rebuilt slowly. According to Muriel, it took at least a year, maybe two. Fanny and two of her siblings went with her parents to live down the road with a neighbor. Her father and the neighbors built a new house, not as big as the old one, but big enough. This new house was in the same place as the old house. When you looked out the front window, you could see a big tree and the front yard and the new dirt road. Fanny's mother looked so white you could sit on her hair. Muriel says her name was Victoria, which comes from the Latin victor or conqueror. Fanny had many sisters, six. Fanny and all her sisters were light-skinned, save for the youngest by 20 years. She is very dark. Fanny's father was a school teacher. He is buried at the school where he taught. He taught many people. Other than his love of books and learning and travel, we do not know anything else about him, nor do we know anything about Victoria. 
They're people, they just arrived from somewhere further south, from people they were not able to remember or maybe not able to talk about. Whatever happened, there was some inheritance, some land given or taken, and Fanny's father, unlike his brother, sold his share of the land too early, and that meant that his descendants went from poor to rich to poor again. His brother, having waited, became quite wealthy. The family does not now often mix and has not for a very long time. I've been to what remains of this land a few acres. Muriel bought the house that her father and the neighbors built after the fire. The land has soft rolling hills. When I last visited, a man drove his car into the large tree next to the road that you can see from the front window. Now there is a large gash in the tree. It is long, irregular, pink and peeling, a big wound, which hasn't so much as healed, but darkened. The man did not make it. He was very close to his own home. Fanny loves my real name, Christina, and says it often. Taming my thick hair slowly, her hands covered in Vaseline and various other oils that smelled similar to Vaseline, she'd whisper over and over, Christina, Christina, Christina. Often we are watching television. In my mind, we are watching The Price is Right. And between my name, she is shouting out prices. Christina, $4.99. Christina, $6.99. Christina, $2.99. Christina. I wonder sometimes if I was her favorite grandchild. My Aunt Muriel, sorry, I need some light. I thought I would have enough light, but I don't. My Aunt Muriel cannot see any longer. This is painful for her because she loved to read books in their physical form and see places in addition to just smelling them. Now, during our phone calls, she asked me to give her vivid descriptions of places I have been, what I have eaten, and what I am reading. Yes, I went to Portugal. We had fish of all kinds over open flame, but mostly I remember the way the bread tasted, like the ocean, because the vendor was by the sea. I went to the town that I think Columbus set sail from. I could see America from the cliffs, a slender wave on the horizon, like a detail in the painting. The water smells more metallic there on the other side of the Atlantic, and the light is the same as San Francisco. That's wonderful, Christina. What were you reading? Hemingway, unfortunately. Now that Muriel cannot see, her children say and not quite whispers that they will sell the house and the land when she passes. I know she can hear them, but she does not say anything. She asks for more books on tape and descriptions instead. Muriel is very funny and makes jokes about systemic racism when she tells stories about being in her 20s and working in the homes of white people. One time, Muriel was working for a woman who had a house with three stories, and Muriel was tired, so she went to the guest bedroom and took a nap, thinking, I clean this house, I will clean this bed afterwards. Muriel left the fire going downstairs to keep the house warm. The woman of the house discovered the fire going downstairs, and Muriel sleeping upstairs, and the woman of the house said, that's my bed, and there's a fire going downstairs. Muriel said, the house is warm, and this is not your bed. Your bed is in the master bedroom upstairs. This is a guest bedroom. This is not your bed. I was tired. You have a big house. And retelling the story, Muriel says, I always used to tell that woman she treated black people terribly. Muriel always corrects herself, too, and says, I didn't say black people. I said me. I told her you treat me terribly. Later, when Muriel becomes a nurse, that woman came into her hospital, and that woman was very sick. Muriel did things that nurses do to nurse her back to health, and neither of them said anything about beds or black people or fires or stories or themselves. When Muriel talks about Fanny, she still sounds angry with her because Fanny left Virginia and did not call enough. 
Muriel also blames Fanny for the abusive husband that Fanny married and separated from, who also happens to be my mother's father. When I am an armchair psychologist, I think Muriel stays mad at Fanny because it is hard to think that someone you love would continue to put themselves in harm's way on purpose and not tell you about it too. That or Muriel is petty. In Latin, the meaning of the name Fanny is from France, or free one. According to a website on the internet, there were 139 baby girls named Fanny born in the U.S. in 1929 when Fanny Mae was born. Fanny means vagina in British slang. It means rear end in American slang. It means both vagina and rear end in Australian slang. <laughs> Muriel is an English name and it means sea and bright. Favorites are no secrets in Fanny's family. Despite the fact that she burned down the house and that she could look you in the eye and lie right to your face, Fanny was her mother's favorite. Muriel will call me to tell me a good lie Fanny had told her and to tell me how long she happened to believe it. The longest was 10 years, and that lie was that Fanny could speak to animals. Her sister, Virginia, calls Fanny's lies stories and does not speak about which ones she believed or did not believe. I am sad over one heartbreak or another heartbreak, and I call Anne on the phone, and they say, I just have to tell myself a different story so that the real story does not hurt so much. My grandfather, my mother's father, Fanny's ex-husband, William, Bill, did not talk much about his family. All my mother knows is that his mother was dark, and he does not like dark black people, even though he is very dark. When I was born, my grandfather saw my complexion and immediately warned my mother to be very stern with me. You must raise your dark children different, he said to her. Christina will not be very bright. On my birthdays, he would call my parents' house to wish me a happy birthday, and then he would ask to speak with my mother. Without fail, he would continue to encourage my mother to be stern with me on account of my darkness. Do not spoil her. She's too dark to be spoiled. It is funny. <laughs> I could hear him because 90s phones were not made for privacy, and my mother, and my mother would shake her head at me, mouthing no, no, and smiling but saying nothing to him. Other times, he would separate his grandchildren based on skin color and give the lighter ones more candy and money. During puberty, he would encourage me to eat less so that men might be more interested in me. You're too dark to be fat. Even though I was a very pretty child and heard that often, I spent a lot of time wishing I was light like my mother and my grandmother and my sister. I spent a lot of time wishing I was a boy like all of my cousins. Fanny died in 2004 of emphysema and exhaustion and lung cancer and disappointment and breast cancer and heartbreak and sadness and what appeared to be liver cancer. Her lungs were bad because every day for 30 years she would smoke a pack of cigarettes in her kitchen or around the neighborhood. She died on my mother's birthday, the 7th of May. She was 75, which is young to some people and old to others. Fanny was my mother's best friend and she made my mother laugh very hard. I have never heard my mother laugh again the way she laughed with my grandmother. Fanny died for a long time. It took many years. At first, she only had to use oxygen before bed. She said that she liked it. And at night, when she would let me let me let her when she would let me watch her late night television shows and let me eat Hershey's Kisses, she seemed to be relieved and giddy after oxygen. Grandma's drugs, she'd say. I laughed, but I had no idea what she was talking about. <laughs> this was her inside joke with herself. I was in it for the Hershey's Kisses. 
In 2002, she began to have trouble walking and more trouble breathing. Soon, she could not split her time between Portland and Marin County, and she had to move to Marin County to live with me and my family in our home with three stories. I was very happy about this until I realized oxygen was also moving with her, and she had to use oxygen full-time, and oxygen was heavy, but she seemed happy about oxygen at first, and so I did not mind either. When she wore oxygen all the time, her latex flared up, her latex allergy flared up because in the early 2000s, they did not make oxygen masks that did not have latex in them. Her face was constantly in a state of allergic shock. Bloated and dark around her eyes, it burned. All day long, she asked me to run a washcloth under hot water so that she can put it over her entire face. Christina, fix me a rag, she said. The rags are white and generally new, as my father is often going to Macy's to make sure that we have plenty at the ready. I pretend that my hands do not feel heat so that I can provide her with many rags. Eventually, my hands do stop feeling heat, and my grandmother compliments me often that my rags are always the hottest and most relieving. At night sometimes, while I sit on her floor, eating Hershey's Kisses, watching late night television, she says to herself that her face feels on fire. She laughs, saying this to herself over and over again, fire, fire, fire. We usually think of laughter as being a response to pleasure or amusement. We're supposed to laugh when we find something funny, not scary. So why do we laugh when we're scared? Two of the most popular theories rest on the assumption that laughter is inherently social. When we laugh, we're conveying a message to the people around us. According to scientists, fearful laughter is an expression of submission. Muriel made one of her daughters take her to listen to the new Baldwin movie. She liked the movie, and this reminded her that she quite likes Baldwin. She called me the other day to discuss. I asked her if she wished she could have seen the pictures. Her answer is as follows. I could see all those pictures in my head, Christina. I didn't need to see what the filmmaker was doing. You don't forget all that hot, white hate. Anyway, Christina, I'm making your bullheaded cousin Joshua read me the fire next time. I haven't read it in years, and it is slow going because the boy never reads books, but he has a nice enough voice, so I don't pay his bad cadence any mind. She's laughing. Anyway, your bullheaded cousin, he's halfway through the book, and he stops reading, and he says, you know, auntie, I think the fire is already here, and it has been here for a long while. Isn't that nice, Christina? Don't you agree? I do. We laugh. Thank you. <laughs>